Good morning. Good morning. My name is Wilson. I'm the outreach pastor and on the kind of uh, executive team here at this church. Just want to say, really glad that you're here. Like uh, Amanda said, this is going to be a really good Sunday morning. And um, yeah, glad you guys are here. Amanda mentioned that I had just been in Norway for about uh, 11 days on a missions trip with a mentor of mine named Mark Baxter. If we could bring the picture up of uh, Mark and I, that'd be awesome. So this is Mark here on the right, and he was my base director in YWAM. So YWAM is a or- missions organization that I was a part of for some years. And Mark emailed me last summer and said, hey, Wilson, there's thousands of Somalian refugees in Norway that need to hear the gospel. Do you want to go with me? And I said, yeah, let's do it. So um, we planned the trip, and through your guys' gifts and your guys' generosity, um, I got more than enough money that I needed to go. So it's really cool. The extra funds we're just going to pass on to some other missionaries from the church to, to bless what they're doing, Nick and Jocelyn Hunter. But um, it was just an amazing trip. And I got to say that this was the highlight, my time with Mark. You know, we're in this series called Rise Above, where we're going through Second Timothy. And the whole context of the letter is it's a mentor to a mentee, a spiritual father to a spiritual son. And so it just fits so perfectly in the stream of what God's doing in this church and in my life personally to get to go and spend all this time with a spiritual father in my life, Mark. Um, I want to tell you guys some of the stories from the trip, but first I want to tell you what Mark's four M's are. So Mark has these four goals in life, kind of four values that he uses to guide himself and to kind of check where he's at. And these four M's, um, the first one is model Jesus for his family. So like his family should be receiving the direct overflow of his relationship with Jesus. If it's missing his family, then he's not doing it right. Um, so his second M is mobilize people into missions. So mobilize people who have, you know, there's probably people in this room who have a call in their life for missions, more than just to go on a mission trip, but to be part of actual, um, like, long-term missions commitment. I mean, I know there are people here, but I bet there's people here who don't even know it that have that. So that's his second, is to mobilize people into missions. His third is amazing. It's make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. <laughs> You know, that's the great commission is we make disciples and a true disciple will make more disciples. Um, And then his fourth is to magnify Jesus joyfully in everything he does. So just to go and spend um, more than a week straight, just 24 hours a day with Mark really refilled my heart so much and felt like such a deposit into me as a person. Um, Kind of funny fact, right now in Oslo in Norway, it's so far north, it's like, you know, half, halfway up Canada is kind of where we're talking about, that it never gets darker than like how dark it is here at um, eight at night. It never gets darker than that. So the sun literally does this. The sun doesn't go down, it just like kind of rotates a little bit. So literally I'd wake up at like five in the morning and be like, I don't know if it's, like, it could be like 3 a.m. for all I know right now, or maybe it's like 10 a.m. and I just slept in or something. But that was really cool and bizarre. Got plenty of serotonin going. Um, 
So that was definitely the key highlight of the trip for me, was the time spent with Mark. And that was really even one of the things that I felt like God was speaking to me about before I went on the trip, that I, that, um, I should really not take for granted the invitation and the time I would get to spend with Mark. So that was really cool. Um, a second, a story I want to tell you guys about a guy we met named Abdullah. So the purpose of the trip was to make connections with Somalian refugees. From the, the um, missions base that Mark leads in Jacksonville, Florida, him and his wife lead. His wife is actually like the key point leader, Janet. Um, their YWAM base, they've just sent out a young guy to Somalia who is doing missions that he has like a two-year commitment to be there. And he's trying to start a water desalinization business to get clean water. That's kind of like his entry road into the, into the country. And so Mark, to kind of support him, wanted to take a trip to Oslo and see if anything gets stirred up there with Somalians because there's thousands of Somalian refugees in Oslo. If you know, Somalia has been a nation in crisis and revolutionary war for longer than I've been alive. And, or maybe just about as long as I've been alive. So that was part of the trip was just to kind of sow seeds for Zach, the guy that's living in Somalia. And um, the first day we got there, we were like really dragging. So I, the first day we got to Oslo, Norway. So just to be clear with everybody, I was not in Somalia. So many people were like, how was your trip to Somalia? Like, didn't go well because I didn't, didn't go there. <laughs> um, no, it's confusing, I know. But the first day we got there, we were really tired. One of my flights had been canceled in, as I was going to Florida to connect with Mark. So I had to drive like three hours at 11 p.m. after preaching here on a Sunday. And so I was all discombobulated by the time we got to Oslo. And Oshlock, who's the, vi- the guy in that video that was praying for the woman with, with her ears, who was getting some of her hearing back and prayed for the guy with his wrist, we kind of had to cut out a part of the video because in the middle of the video, the guy just drops the F-bomb and he's like, what the F just happened? So it was sweet. But um, Oshlock, he was our contact. He's a vineyard pastor there in Norway. He planted a vineyard in another part of Norway and then now is on the uh, team. He's on the pastoral staff at a vineyard in Oslo, which is the city we were in. And he had us stay at his house, at his flat. So I'm getting the lingo. We stayed at his flat. And uh, no, he had this really awesome condo, so beautiful in this cool complex. And he was 10 minutes this direction from a marketplace that had a subway that took you to downtown Oslo city center. And then 15 minutes in this direction, you could take a, a train, which got you to downtown Oslo in like five minutes. So it was, it was really amazing place to stay. He housed us for free. He um, only had to work one of the days we were there. So he was like our interpreter as well as, I mean, look at the dude. He's like a full-on power evangelist um, just going after it. So it was really strategic that we were partnered with him because that was our whole itinerary while we were, while we were there. Just street ministry. Just meet people on the street, meet Somalians, and um, pray for them and see what God does. So the first day we're there, we arrive at like 1 p.m. and we're trying to stay up a while so that we can kind of get oriented to the Oslo time, which is pretty useless because it's always light there. So it's like you're basically just, 
out of luck no matter what. You just need like those blackening curtains. I slept with a t-shirt over my face every night. Um, so we're, we're pretty tired, but we go, Oshlock talks us into going to like this little kind of city center, not, not city center, but it's a little marketplace where that subway was I was telling you guys about. And um, we go there, we're just making conversation with people. Pretty quickly, we meet like several different Somalians, get to pray for them, and we're having cool interactions. But nothing like super dramatic. No one's giving their life to Jesus. No one's really, nothing too, um, nothing profound that we saw. Which, by the way, sometimes we're just watering. Sometimes we're just planting seeds. We're not always going to see the fruit in that moment. On this trip even, Prayed for a young guy whose ankle was totally healed. He was Norwegian. And I started to share the gospel with him. He said, no, 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 I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to relationship with Jesus. So it's like, even sometimes when we see the heaven break in and the miraculous happen, um, there hasn't been enough stuff coming behind it to give the person like the framework to actually enter relationship with Jesus. It's, it's really bizarre. But anyways, um, it's kind of funny to think that Someone getting healed was just planting a seed. <laughs> Usually I'm like, come on, if they just get healed, then it's all, it's all over. You know, they're definitely going to accept Jesus right at that spot. But anyways, sorry, I'm kind of like jumping all over the place. We are really tired and we're at this little subway station talking to people. Um, what I said before is like kind of tossing seeds out. And I see a guy walking about from me to like the wall away walking along one of the buildings, and he's limping. And I could tell he was Somalian. Well, I, I was guessing he was either Somalian, Ethiopian, or Eritrean, just by the, how he looked. So head over to him, introduce myself. Hey, man, what's going on? Just notice you're limping. And he said, yeah, I have this, like, r- this injury in my ankle where, or in my shin, and it's just been like that for a long time. But, yeah, it really hurts. And so I began talking to him, and at this point, Mark and Oshlock whose nickname was Aflac, because Mark couldn't say Oshlock, um, who's with us. Mark, Mark and Oshlock and I are talking to Abdullah, is this, is this young guy's name from Somalia, who's about my age. And we said, well, dude, we just want to pray for you, that Jesus will heal you. You know, he loves you, and you're actually why we're here. We came here just for you. He's like, what? Like, thinks we're kind of tricking him somehow. We're like, no, literally, dude, we came here for you. Like, we came here to meet Somalians and pray for them. And he says, uh, but I'm a Muslim. Like, I don't, I don't think we believe the same thing. You can't pray for me. I said, dude, no, it's no big deal. Jesus still loves you. He still wants to heal you no matter where you're at. Like he, he's, he cares about you, you know? He said, okay, well you guys can pray for me, but let's go over here. Cause I don't want anyone else to see. Cause there's tons of Somalians around. So we take him over to this, um, little kind of like co like, like around the corner where there's a bench and it's kind of a little more hidden and we begin to pray for him and he, his ankle gets totally healed. I mean, his shin gets totally healed. All the pain leaves. And he's just like, he, his mind is already getting clear. Like how he was talking to us when he was saying like, no, you can't pray for me compared to after his shin got healed. He's already a change. And we're just like, dude, Abdullah, this is Jesus presenting himself to you. You got to give your life to him like right now. Like this is the moment for you to start a relationship with him. He's like, no, I'm a, I'm a Muslim. I can't do that. Like, my whole family will reject me and my wife and da-da-da. And we're just like, dude, um, this is your family's best chance <laughs> is you accepting Jesus right now and you beginning a relationship with him. And then we just told him, look, 
what we really think the decision you can make right now is that you're going to put Jesus above everything else. Not that you're going to leave your family, not that you're going to reject them, and um, not that you even have to separate yourself totally from your community of Muslims, but just that you're going to make Jesus number one, and you're going to listen to Jesus' voice above everything else. And at that point, he said, Jesus speaks? You mean God speaks? I said, yeah, dude. Like, and so he's like, yes, I want that. Like, I'm in. And so we pray with him. He gets some demons cast out of him. The power of God just starts to rest on him. His hands are like on fire. It was the most dramatic manifestation in God's presence I think I've ever seen just like on the street. It felt like Robbie Dawkins, Holy Spirit night, like boom, right there, you know? And his hands are hot and he's just like, what is happening? We said, dude, that's the Holy Spirit filling you. Man, he's getting a full sozo right now. Like, he's getting saved, healed, delivered, emotional healing. Like, all of it is just happening, bang, right in this moment. And um, he even says, like, I, I'm, I feel different. Like, I just, my head feels more clear. And it was, it was so cool. We uh, got his information so we could have our friend that's living in Somalia follow up with him because Abdullah is going back to Somalia soon. So... It was just a really cool encounter. We tried to connect with him more throughout the week, but um, there was some family stuff going on with him. But then honestly, just spiritual warfare was preventing our, um, us meeting back up. Because you know, Mark's M is make disciples. Not make converts, but make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. What Mark says is every person you interact with is either, you should either lead to Jesus or teach them how to disciple other people. <laughs> he's like, That's, that can be our outlook. And he's not saying like in a strict religious sense of you need to get to that point in a conversation with every person you talk to. But he's just saying like, wow, if, if um, Christians just had even more appreciation for raising people up in discipleship, what would happen? You know, it's not about numbers. It's not about 100 million people saying yes to Jesus. It's about... 1,000 making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Like that is why Jesus said, go into all the nations and make disciples. So anyways, I could rant on that and Mark would probably be like cheering me on from Facebook Live right now. But I'm gonna change gears, tell you about this video and then jump into um, 2 Timothy and give you guys a second to last message on Rise Above. Can you guys believe it? That we're almost through the whole book of 2 Timothy. If you haven't been with us, we've been going through 2 Timothy chunk by chunk, like four verses at a time since um, like May, I think. It's been so long, I can't remember. But okay, so the video we took, it just so happened that Gay Pride in Oslo was on my birthday. So on June 30th, on my birthday was their Gay Pride Parade. And they do not mess around when it comes to pride in Oslo. Like TGI Fridays was renamed TGI Pride Days. I'm not joking. And also this month, I would say that like eight out of 10 um, restaurants had a rainbow flag or a flag on the establishment. And to me, I'm just like, sweet. That's God's promise to never flood the earth again. Like, they are just marking themselves for an encounter with the living God who loves them. Like, how, how is it that, dude, we should all come to church with big rainbow shirts on. 
Because you know that that's what that rainbow means. Is God put a rainbow in the sky and said, I'll never flood the earth again. Dude, like, I think it's so prophetic that the gay community has taken on the rainbow as their um, brand. (laughs) It's just a marking for a revival in that community of people. Like, think about some of the positives. Um, Extreme boldness. Like, that, that is a huge thing I see a piece of gold that God wants to redeem in the gay community is boldness. Like imagine if we were half as bold. Imagine if we had a Jesus parade. Like anyways, we go to the parade and um, we're just like, what can we do to kind of like disarm some of the negative image that I think a lot of the gay community has of Christians and some of the rejection? You know, there's just like a basically a gaping wound in the gay community towards Jesus and God. And that's predominantly the church's fault. And I'm not like blaming anybody in here or anybody, but like, I mean, I take that on for myself even. So I was like, let's figure out a way that we can go and just love them in a practical way. Not a way that we can go and tell them what they're doing wrong, something they need to fix. But I mean, like, who am I to even tell? I'm not their friend or their brother or their sister. Like, why would I, am I going to go to a bar and just start telling everyone in the bar, hey, is that your second shot of whiskey? Oh man, you got, dude, you're, no. Like, what, that thought doesn't even enter our mind. But for some reason, how much of Christianity has taken up a cause to go and correct a whole um, part of our world that just needs radical, radical love. So we go with roses. And we said, let's just give roses away to everybody that we see, which we were not even close. I mean, we had like 36 roses compared to probably like 5,000 people. Um, But we just said, hey, we just want to give you this rose to show you God's love in a practical way. He loves you. You're so beautiful. God God is not mad at you. He loves you. And we just believe that honor and love are the beginning of repentance. That honor and love are the things that are going to open someone's door, open someone's heart, someone's heart to thinking differently. And that if we can step into that role of honor and love, that the Holy Spirit is going to probably come and have something to work with. That's like a sacrifice we're offering to God. Here's my honor and love to somebody that maybe even I feel uncomfortably around, but I'm going to love them. Because you know that Jesus isn't scared of the sin in people's life. Jesus isn't like, like, look at the people Jesus hung out with while he was on earth. The tax collectors. You know, like, I've even heard one theory that I think is so cool that um, a lot of the women that followed Jesus were, like, had been prostitutes or had been in that type of lifestyle. And that they came out of that because there, was, there could have potentially been a bad stigma around Jesus's mother, Mary, because she had, she, because of Jesus being in a Mac of conception. You following me? So um, anyways, we were just giving flowers out. Oshlock was healing everybody he saw. Um, I was like, dude, I'm just going to get into the parade. Like I want to go right into the center of this thing and start loving on people. So I like kind of pushed my way through people and I just went up, put my arms around people and said, Hey, can I just release love over you? Can I just release God's love over you? And be like, what? And he's like, I just released the Father's love over your heart right now. Jesus loves you. And my whole, my whole hope is just that I'm tossing seeds. That I'm tossing seeds for people that are going to germinate. And that um, even just 
me touching them. Like, I think I carry God's presence so much on me that it's just going to leak all over them. So it was really fun. Thank you guys for praying for me. Thank you guys for supporting me. Um, yeah, like I felt the prayers. I felt the encouragement. I felt the support. It's totally different to go somewhere where there's, where no one, where no one from where you're coming is supporting you versus when you have a whole group of people that are in your corner. So thank you guys for being in my corner. Okay. All right. Now let's go into second Timothy. I'm going to pray before we go in. So Jesus, thank you so much for that interaction with Abdullah for him surrendering his heart to you. I bless him wherever he is right now. Just bless that um, transformation that happened in his heart and in his life and that seed that we planted. God, we just, um, I just pray a blessing and not a curse over the gay community. I just say, God, um, would you just send um, all kinds of, uh, would you send us in all kinds of interactions to bring love and hope and freedom into the gay community's life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, 2 Timothy 4, 14 to 17. That's where we're at today. I just want to quickly pull out for you guys three keys to rising above. In this little passage, if you heard Luke's message last week, you know that we're into that last part of a letter where there's just like all kinds of random tidbits of information. And who thinks that Luke absolutely killed it last week with his message? Wasn't that awesome? His content was like, Timothy, tell this guy to bring me a book and him to bring me a jacket. And then Luke comes with like this whole message on reconciliation, on um, your reputation, on forgiveness. And it's so powerful. So props to Luke. I don't think I'm going to be able to do the same thing he did. But I went to gay pride. So that's supposed to be the flashy, distracting thing for my message that leaves you thinking I'm cool. Okay. Um, so let's read second Timothy four, 14 to 17. Alexander, the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself for he strongly opposed our message at my first defense. No one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So the first thing that just, that jumps out to me here, I don't know if it jumps out to you, is when Paul says these words, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Alexander, in all likelihood, is the very reason that Paul is in prison. Alexander must have been a man of a lot of influence, there, there's some debate about who Alexander was, actually, because there's different Alexanders mentioned in Acts and in uh, 1 Timothy, but it's not like, no, they're not really certain who he was, but all we know is that he was an influential guy that really opposed Paul, so much to the point that they think he kind of like made up some lies and informed against Paul, and that's the reason that Paul is in prison. The commentary I was reading said that like the language here, um, when he says, he did me great harm. That, that, that word did, that verb, was closely related to, or, or is the same word you'd use in like a legal setting about someone being indicted or informed against. So Paul is wrongly accused by this guy. And his response is, the Lord will repay him. What I took from this 
initially was, dang it, here's a judgment verse from God that I have to figure out how to understand. And like, this messes with my paradigm of God, you know, and blah, 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 which who cares about my paradigm of God? Like, I want to understand the scripture based on what it's saying, not the box of theology that I've created. Theology is so important, but um, we get theology from here, you know? And I was talking to my dad about it, and he said, you know, I think the key to this verse right here is actually that Paul is taking a heart posture of God is in control. Not, it's my job to make this right. It's my job to defend myself. It's my job to figure this situation out. It's actually a heart posture of, I'm going to leave this to God. It's a heart posture of trust. That really encouraged me that there's times in our life when we're going to be wronged or opposed, and we're not supposed to um, fight back. We're supposed to just say, I'm going to trust God. That doesn't mean that Paul didn't give Timothy wisdom on how to actually walk that out, which was avoid him because he's has, is, is probably unrepentant, hard heart, not going to be open to um, anything. So just avoid him. It's going to be bad for you. But it brings assurance to me. Like, hey, the Lord will repay him, aka I'm just going to trust God. I'm not going to obsess about this. The second key to rise, so that's the first key, is that I am not people's judge or jury. We're not people's judge or jury. The second key that I saw from this comes from verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. For me, Paul's pulling out something here about how we can respond to abandonment, how we can respond to betrayal, how we can respond to unmet expectations in others. It's like that's the core of it right there is how do we respond when other people let us down? And it's in, in, a, in a wrongful sense. The first thing I just want to call out is this leaves our heart in a very vulnerable place when this happens. When our expectations are let down by others, you, your heart is in a place of extreme vulnerability. And I just want to pause and pray for that really quick. So if you're coming in here this morning with, you're just carrying expectations have been let down and it's like fresh for you. I'm just going to pray for you. Jesus, will you guard their heart? Will you comfort them? Will you give them perspective? I say peace to hearts right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I just pull out that little um, lie and that false imagine. Like, I feel like the thing that happens for me is I start imagining the worst. I just free you from imagining the worst about others with your unmet expectations. In Jesus' name, amen. So how does Paul respond? He says, may it not be charged against them. And you know what started coming to my mind with this? What if Stephen, if you guys know the first martyr, the first Christian ever murdered, what if Stephen hadn't forgiven Paul? But let's look at this. In Acts 7, there's this guy, Stephen, who's um, being opposed, actually, by Paul. And Paul, earlier in Paul's life, the guy who's writing this letter, he was actually somebody who opposed Christianity and persecuted it. So early on in Paul's life, he kind of facilitates and even, um, yeah, he really facilitates the murder of this Christian named Stephen. And they take Stephen outside the town and they begin to stone him. And the guys that are stoning him all go and put their cloaks at at Paul's feet. And here's what Stephen prays. As they were stoning Stephen, 
Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, meaning that he died. Here's what I want to propose to you. Stephen's last words, Stephen's forgiveness of Paul, directly contribute to Paul's Damascus Road encounter. What if and that the, Paul's Damascus Road encounter is when he had an encounter with Jesus, where he repented, where he came into relationship with God? What if you forgiving other people isn't just for you? What if it's actually going to release other people into their destiny? What if this is where binding and loosing comes into play? When Jesus says, the things that are bound on earth, you can bind. The things that are loose in heaven, you can loose. Guess what? Forgiveness has been permanently loosed in heaven. The cross permanently looses forgiveness. Jesus was, an e- Jesus was God, so he's an eternal being. So he paid for all sin that was committed before him and all sin that will be committed after him. This means that everybody's a target for forgiveness. Listen to um, 2 Corinthians 5.19, another letter that Paul wrote. He says this, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So this is what this means. In Christ, God was saying, I'm making a way for everyone to come into relationship with me with me. I'm, I'm opening the doors so that anybody that wants to can come to me. Now you guys need to go share that. That's what the message of reconciliation is. It's not the message of universalism that says everyone is saved. It's the message that Jesus paid for everyone. He paid for everyone. Every single person that prayed, every single Muslim in the world, Jesus paid so that they could all come into relationship with Jesus if they do. <laughs> That's the big if, right? If they do. But when you have this paradigm, it makes forgiveness easy. It makes forgiveness natural. It makes forgiveness our default. And that's really what it comes down to is realizing that it's natural for me to forgive others. It's unnatural for me to be bitter. Now, I'm going to say that again. It's natural for me to forgive others. It's unnatural for me to be bitter. Now, if you, right now in your heart, you're having the very opposite experience, that's okay. You're in good company because that's how I feel a lot of the time too. And that's the process of sanctification. That's us renewing our mind. That's us taking steps. That's us growing and stepping into more of who we already are. That's the gospel message is that Jesus totally changed you. He made you a brand new creation. Totally new. Not a little bit dead with a bunch of band-aids on and mostly new. No, 100% brand new creation. The Christian life is renewing our mind, experiencing the presence of God. That's why God's presence is so important because it's in his presence that we get to step more and more into our identity. We can't just in our mind um, reject lies and grow alone. That's not going to cut it. We need transformative encounter with the living God. Without that, we're never going to step fully into our identity. That's why as a church, we want to center around God's presence. Because that's the thing that changes us. I'm so lost as to where I was going. Um, So Jesus, man, he made this possible on the cross. Forgiveness is natural for us. 
it's not, it's, it's the norm. Um, and I really think that it's starting there. It's having that as a core belief that allows you then to walk out the process of forgiveness. I'm not saying that you're going to feel good about it right from the beginning. And I'm not saying that forgiveness isn't something you actually have to walk out. But I think we need to start, like that's the, that's the gospel message is that we get to start from a place of victory. So I get to start from a place of it's natural for me to forgive. My emotions and my mind aren't lining up with that. So I'm going to walk that out. I'm going to talk to other people about what's going on. I'm going to um, write it down. Like I'm going to do all the different things I need to, to release the emotions or, and release some of the wound. But we start from a place of victory. We start from a place of forgiveness is natural for me. All right. So that's the second key to rising above is may it not be charged against them. Again, just return to that thought. I wonder what was happening in the spirit realm when Stephen forgave Paul. When Stephen was being stoned and he forgave Paul. I wonder what was happening in the world that we don't see with our eyes. Who knows if some angel is being released on an assignment or whatever. I don't know how it all works. Some bowl is being filled with incense and then, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know. But there's stuff happening that we don't see, but that will only happen if we act. Verse 17, how to stand strong, how to rise above. This is my last point. I love this verse, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. I just underlined that and wrote, wow. I just wrote, wow. I just, I can camp out there. Like that is just amazing. That touches something in my heart that is like so exciting. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Jesus stood by me and strengthened me. But here's the thing. We're not going to be able to recognize Jesus standing by us and strengthening us in the hard times, if we haven't spent time in the mundane times learning to recognize his presence. We won't recognize his presence in the hard times if we haven't learned to recognize it on the day-to-day in the regular, aka a quiet time. I'm just going to be real, okay? Like, I can take this all different ways. Have a quiet time. Spend daily time with the Lord. In prayer, read your Bible, like, there's almost a, it's almost like, well, I'm free and that's a religious thing. Like I've heard some people think that way or some people fall the other direction and you just put this yoke upon yourself where you're like, God doesn't love me if I didn't read my Bible today. Those are two sides to attention. Those are two different sides. We need to stay in the tension of there's something really valuable about spending daily time with the Lord, but he doesn't love me less and I'm not a better Christian when I do it. Something is just being grown inside of me. An awareness, a recognition of the presence of God. Think about it like a marriage. We are in a marriage union with Jesus. Okay? With my wife, we are, we are in a marriage union. We are married. Now, if I don't ever spend any time with her, if we don't ever go on dates, if we don't ever talk on the phone, if we don't ever send each other Snapchats, if we don't ever text, if we don't ever have sex, if we don't ever um, give each other gifts then that connection we have is not going to be as strong. That presence, that awareness isn't going to be as strong. But it will not change the fact that we are married. You following me? Like there is a legal thing that has happened there that's made us married. It's the same thing with Jesus, guys. We are legally married to him. He is not 
less around or less in us when we have or haven't had a quiet time or when we have or haven't spent time with the Lord or haven't come to church or whatever. He is committed, not based off of how we act and how we perform, but based off of himself to be faithful to us and to love us and to be close to us. We're only going to experience the benefit of that if we re-engage back towards him. Does that make sense? That's kind of the heart of of a quiet time, of spending daily time with the Lord is, I want to re-engage with the person who's engaged with me. Every time you wake up, he's engaging with you. You know that? Like, that's the reason we have breath in our lungs. That's the reason we're alive is because he has chosen us. He has loved us. So we're not going to be able to recognize the Lord standing by us in tough times if we haven't already learned what it's like for him to stand by us in mundane times. Really quick, practical way. Um, this is like a really kind of like, this is my bare bones quiet time that I'll have. My, my like five minute version. Sometimes I get up. And this is as far as I get into spending time with the Lord because Haya wakes up or I get distracted or I slept in too late or whatever. But I try and always get this in. Spend time thanking God, just thanking him for anything you can think of, prayers of thankfulness, and then open up scripture and just try and get a couple of, like, and just start reading. For me, it's been Psalm 3. I've just been trying to hang out in Psalm 3 lately and really meditate on it and let it, like, let it just kind of, let it touch my heart, let it touch my emotions, let it touch all different parts of me. And yeah, sometimes Haya comes toddling out of the bedroom, that, that, like, that's amazing. Like, I'm really glad. So it's not about how long. It's not, I'm trying to be practical here. It's not about how long. It's about the us going towards him. There's something that is fed in us when we go towards him. So I'd encourage you, start to develop that discipline. What I'm getting at is, more is going on in our disciplined times of intimacy with Jesus than we know or feel. More is going on in our disciplined times of intimacy with Jesus, of prayer and reading the Bible, than we know or feel. And prayer and reading the Bible, those are just two examples of things we can do to spend time with the Lord. There's two of my favorites. So any discipline, when you start it, it takes intentionality. It just takes intentionality. So just however you have to do it, budget five minutes of every day that you're going to start. Like who here can't sacrifice five minutes of your day to spend time with the Lord? It's an easy goal that we can, we can all hit and then grow on it from there. Um, here's, a, here's the last thing I want to say that I think is funny, but also really drives the point home. My friend Barry told me this very long. He said, if you lose God's phone number, you aren't going to be able to remember it when you're stressed out. If you lose God's phone number, you're not going to be able to all of a sudden remember it when you're stressed out. Who's ever experienced that? Where like you forgot your social and then they ask, then they're like, what's your social security number as you're opening your bank account? And you're like, one, two, three, four, seven, seven. No, that wasn't it. Like when we're stressed, when we're in a hard moment, that's not the time to be trying to grasping for it. It needs to be something that's just abiding. So that really encouraged me. And I thought it was a kind of light way to bring it full circle. Um, all right, I'm going to read Psalm 3 to you as the ushers come down to receive the offering. And we'll receive the offering when I finish Psalm 3. This is the one I've been meditating on every day. All right. So we'll start receiving the offering when I finish the verse, okay? 
O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. So I just speak God's blessing over you all, in Jesus' name. All right, we can receive the offering. As you're receiving it, um, if you miss the basket or whatever, there's some other ways you can give. Our app is really handy for this. VC, um, Vineyard Northwest in the app store. You can give online. There's also two um, offering baskets or um, boxes on the back wall so you can drop your, your offering in if you missed the basket. But we're going to worship. And I actually want to point something out. That this is Tori's last time leading worship for a while here. Tori, who loves Tori? Come on. So Tori is heading out to um, Bethel, uh, a church in Northern California, to do a school of supernatural ministry. It's going to be awesome. And yeah, we love you and we bless you, Tori. Cool. Would you all stand with me? I was going to come up here and pray just for grace for all of us to have more like kind of discipline for our quiet times. But then I felt like Jesus was like, nah, pray for them to be childlike. (laughs) I feel like he's like, no, pray for childlikeness, not for that. So I'm going to do whatever he says. So Jesus, I just release childlikeness over each of us. Just like how my daughter wakes up, first thing she says is dada and runs to find me. Let that be our heart postures. Rearrange whatever it needs to in our hearts and our minds for there to be more childlikeness. <laughs> Let us be just like children, Lord. Let us receive you like children. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I mentioned that Tori um, Jones is heading to Bethel in a month. This is her last time leading, so in a minute, Tori's going to come down here right in the front, and then I want, first and foremost, her family to come up to her, and then second, anybody who's done like a DTS or BSSM before, or some kind of like little gap year type school thing, or any kind of Christian program training deal, and then everyone else to come and surround her that wants to, and just pray for her and bless her, okay, and give her money for her trip, Um, for her, yeah. So Jesus, we love you. We bless your name. You're so good. Um, We love you. Amen. Have a great week, you guys. Prayer teams are going to be down here to pray for people.